Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. As we move forward this morning, I just want to encourage you, if you have the Bible app on your phone, pull out your phone. Um, if you have a scroll... I didn't see anybody walking with a scroll, but you can unroll that. You can unravel that. But where I'd like for you to land today is John chapter 8. We're eventually going to get there. John chapter 8. Today, well, actually tonight, the world watches. Tonight, the world watches. Whether you're into the game itself or you're watching it for the commercial or if you are one of those millions and millions of Swifties out there that just want to catch a glimpse of T. Swift cheering on her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey. <laughs> I, I'm good too, bro. Uh, but tonight the world watches. Quite frankly, of all the gawkers and the watchers, uh, it is expected that tonight the viewership will exceed last year's Super Bowl that was at 115 million viewers. Now, whether or not you are a sports ball fan or you will even watch any of the game, you will be really hard-pressed not to be introduced to a young man who has been basically deflecting the limelight as much as he can. Brock Purdy. Would you mind throwing that first pick up? Brock Purdy. There he is. Brock Purdy. You will be introduced to the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. You will hear a lot of talk about him if you haven't already heard. This young man... No one really would know much about Purdy had several events not occurred. One, the, third or the second string quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers had to get injured in 2022. Lance, the second string quarterback, got injured early in the season. Then late in the season, Garoppolo, the first string quarterback, during the Miami Dolphins game, dropped back in the pocket, tried to evade, and was tackled. And in that moment, he broke his foot. Brock Purdy, third string quarterback, was ushered onto the field. Brock Purdy was never expected to take a snap in the NFL. In fact, during the NFL draft in 2022, 31 teams out of 32 ignored him. 
One team actually scouted him, but they chose and elected not to draft him. And so Purdy is waiting in the wing through the first round, through the second round, through the third round, through the fourth round, through the fifth round, through the sixth round. And here comes round number seven. Do you realize how much data acquisition and analysis goes into picking a draft pick? The best minds and experts analyze data. For some of the players, it goes all the way back to junior high. They review footage and record all the way through their college season and in the NFL Combine. Millions of dollars are spent by the experts to figure out whether someone has the talent, the skill, the teachability, the potential to step out on the field in week one for the NFL. And then comes draft pick number 262. They call this draft pick Mr. Irrelevant. Why? <laughs> because number 262, the chances for that person to actually make it onto a roster of 53 is slim to none. In fact, draft picks in round six and seven, only about 30 to 35% of them will even make it to week one. And they call Brock Purdy's name. Literally, they have a shirt that says Mr. Irrelevant. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, who's never expected to take a snap. In fact, he was supposed to have a slow fade and no one really knows about this guy. Today, tonight, again, whether you're a sports ball fan or not, he will step on one of the world's biggest stages as quarterback for dominating San Francisco 49ers team. The experts were wrong. They're wrong. They were wrong. And they are wrong. The fact is, experts will never admit that they were wrong. They won't. They will say a player did not live up to their potential. They will say that the player did not live up to the capacity. That something about them, whether they were not teachable, or whether they continued to party, or whether their ego got in the way, but... They will never admit that they were wrong. In fact, the experts right now are trying to really rack their brain around this guy, Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. And how they're forming the narrative about this guy is that he is a systems quarterback. That means nothing to those of you that are not sports fans or football fans, but a systems quarterback. The idea behind this statement is that if you pull him out of this system, you will see how inadequate... He is. 
When you look at the 31 teams that didn't choose him, they did not choose him because they thought he was too slow, that he was too small, that he was not strong enough, and that he did not have the talent to separate him from the rest of the crowd. The experts were wrong. And they will believe that as soon as you pull him out of the system, that protects him, that does not show his flaws and his inadequacies, as soon as you pull him out, you will really find out that he is Mr. Irrelevant. And that he has no relevance to the game of football or the NFL. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. For all of us, for many of us, I think there's this idea that we carry out in public that we think we're the number one draft pick. But when we go behind closed doors and we review the data of our lives, all the data acquisition of ourself, and we look at ourselves in the mirror. I think some of us will find that we believe that we're Mr. Irrelevant to the world around us, that we're Miss Irrelevant and Mrs. Irrelevant to the world around us, that we're just longing for someone to look at us and see the goodness within us. We're longing, we're longing for someone to recognize that there is greatness on the inside of us but we just need the chance that we're hedging our bets in life that someone will take notice of our relevance around us. Jesus, he got up really, really early in the morning. He descended the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is in the story of Jesus is where the Garden of Gethsemane is where he wrestled with the will of God. He descends down the Mount of Olives. He crosses the Kidron Valley and begins to go up the Temple Mount. And he enters the Temple Courts. And in the Temple Courts, this is where anyone and everyone can gather. Whether you're Jewish or you're non-Jew, the Bible calls the non-Jew a Gentile. We're all Gentiles in this room. Whether you're impoverished or you're rich, whether you're a little kid, a teenager, a man or a woman, you can gather here. You could worship here. But this is as far as most people go. And so Jesus, like a good rabbi, he sits down and he begins to teach crowd. And in the middle of that church service, that teaching, the experts come disturbing the conversation, disrupting the conversation. Would you go there, John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Thanks, Peyton. That's a great segue. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again 
in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these experts of religion, brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this, this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. I know, really disgusting, isn't it? Humanity can be so cruel, can't they? But Jesus bent down and started to to ride on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and rode on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing, still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Father, in the next moments, I ask that it's your spirit and your word that speaks very clearly. Regardless if I fumble and bumble and I don't make sense, I I really just ask that it's you that speaks to our souls. And that we hear, hear the voice that we've longed to hear our whole life. Yours. may there be a tectonic shift that happens on the inside of us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we ask. Amen. The experts. These experts on religion. They have all the data. Excuse me. They have all the data and analysis. They know it all. And they come crashing, bursting into a church service with Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, having the conversation. And with them, they drag in a woman, more than likely, at best, scantily clad, if not naked. And they stand her in the middle of this moment. My guess is they planted someone. That's my guess. They planted someone lying in wait to catch her in the act. And as soon as they saw, they captured her and forcibly removed her from wherever she was. And they dragged her in front of Jesus. 
in the crowd. Dehumanizing her in the process. And they begin to question Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law says that we must stone her. What do you say? Here in this moment, I find it very interesting that those who are the experts, they bend the truth a little bit. They skew reality. For the law that they're pulling from actually applies to a virgin promised to be married to a man. And the law actually requires that both of them be stoned. It's very obvious and evident that there's no guy in the presence. We have two people on trial here. We have a woman and we have Jesus. And we have the experts controlling the room. Wanting to trap Jesus. They ask Jesus a question. What do you say? What do you say? Up to this moment, my heart goes out to the woman. I have compassion for her. She's a pawn in a game. She's being dehumanized, and all of her dignity has been stripped. Regardless of the choice that she made. And it's public. It's before everybody. She has nowhere to hide. But then the experts ask this question. Jesus, what do you say? And then I step back as I read it. And I go, Jesus, what do you say about me? I think this is a question that the experts are asking. It's the same question that you and I are asking God himself. Jesus, what do you say about my life and my lifestyle? Jesus, what do you say about my mistakes? Jesus, what do you say about my failures? Jesus, what do you say about the consequences that have been following me my whole life from my past? Jesus, what do you say about my success and my talent and my skill? Jesus, what do you say about my untapped potential? Jesus, what do you say about my anger towards you and towards God for the things that you didn't show up for? I find myself asking the same questions. But I don't think I'm alone. I think every one of us asks him the questions. What do you say about this? You didn't come through. And we become the experts on our life and on God. And we put him on trial. You ever done that? I don't know if you can be human if you haven't. 
I think it's only natural. I think we often blame God for things in our life that we either chose or at the hands of someone else. And we, hadn't, we felt so powerless in the moment. And we step back and we're the expert. And it's Jesus at the end of our finger. It's God at the end of our finger. But here's the actual truth. We're more like the woman than we are the expert. And if anybody in that room, and anybody, if anybody in the arena, it's Jesus. That's the expert on the human heart, on the soul of each human being. He's the designer. He's the creator. Now, I find it really intriguing. Does Jesus even respond to the question? The accusations? With the woman standing there in the middle of the crowd? What do you say about this? This is why I like Jesus. There's no one else. If you look at Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam or any of the other world religions, there's no one else like Jesus Christ and will respond like him. What does he do? John tells us he bends down to the ground. And he starts to write with his finger in the earth. Moving dirt. Now, perhaps, perhaps maybe he's hearkening back to the moment that the finger of God wrote the commandments on the tablets and the law of Moses. Perhaps it's hearkening back to Daniel chapter 5 where there's this human hand that appears and writes on the walls of King Belshazzar. Translated, numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. Foretelling the king's life is about to end. Maybe. Maybe Jesus moving the earth is reminding everybody that's standing there, yelling at him, that it's from dust they came. To dust they'll return. And that it's by the hand of God, humanity was formed. I don't know. I wish I knew what he wrote. Don't you? But what's evident, what's evident in the moment, is that all eyes have moved to Jesus to what he's doing in the earth. The eyes of the experts, the eyes of the crowd, you know who they're not on? The woman. 
the woman who knows that her life is hanging in the balance. The woman who knows very clearly the sentence that belongs to her. So Jesus diverts the attention to him. See, Jesus understands something about the human heart, about our propensity. See, he understands however much we are full of bitterness and anger and resentment, however much we want revenge, whether it's on another human being or we want God to stand trial. He understands that those blind us to the true condition of our inner being. That we fail to see ourselves for who we truly are. And so, he writes. And then, he comes back up off the ground. Again, all eyes on him. Brendan, can you put that up there? He says something to the whole crowd. Let me reread it just to make sure. If any one of you Without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. See, Jesus doesn't answer the question. He doesn't answer the accusation or the allegations. Because it is a trap. These experts think they have Jesus cornered. If he, if he says stone her... Then he's now stepping over the, the barrier of Rome, putting himself in the position of Rome. Because the only person, the only agency that can execute is Rome. No one else. But if Jesus says not to stoner, oh, now they got Jesus cornered as he's contradicting the law of Moses. He loses credibility. The movement that he has begins to die. And no one will listen to him any longer. What does he do? He reminds them of the condition of their soul. If any one of you is without sin, you be the first to stone her. Scriptures declare very clearly that Jesus himself is the sinless one. The only one in the arena at the moment that can declare whether she should be executed or not is God himself. No other human being. I find it interesting how easy it is as a human being to become critical and condemning and judging of other people. It's like, 
We're here. And we need the high ground on other people. We need to judge them and be critical of their life so that we feel better about ourselves. Mr. Irrelevant. Miss Irrelevant. We want our lives to be relevant, to have meaning and significance. And the best way and the easiest way is to cut everyone else down at the knees. But Jesus, no. He understands that religion gets in the way too. He understands that religion will move us where our heart naturally goes. Arrogance. Self-righteousness. Legalism. And then condemnation on everyone else. We've got it made. Not you. But we're all stripped. We're all exposed. We're all naked before our Creator. Naked we came and naked we will go. We're all exposed. He understands that the more you press religion, the more you move into that direction, the further and further away you move from what your soul really needs. Grace. Love. Mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is kind of the opposite. So we deserve something that we, did, we didn't get. The woman stands, deserving judgment. But yet, the experts, they're found numbered, weighed, and divided. Kind of like the knight's tale, where he stands over him. You've been weighed and measured and been found wanting. What a great line. It's all of us. And as soon as he declares, you without sin be the first to cast a stone at her, he goes back down, diverting their attention away from her again. The white knuckles of condemnation and judgment holding the rocks ready to go, they drop. And from the oldest to the youngest, they leave. Even the crowd, even the crowd that came to listen to Jesus, because all had been convicted. And when everybody's gone, Grace stands to attention, looking at her eyeball to eyeball. Of all the things that Jesus could say, he says, where are they? Of all the things he could say, look, I know what you did. Man, you're lost. You're looking for something in all these guys 
and you're not finding it. No, he, he didn't say that. He said, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Remember, we're, we're the woman. We like to think we're the experts on our life. But we're the woman standing exposed before the very God who designed us. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Neither do I. Folks, mercy and grace, they triumph over judgment. Scripture is very clear on that. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus is calling all of us to his mercy. To not only receive it, but to extend it to all of the other Mr. and Miss and Mrs. Irrelevance of the world. Because we're all exposed. And the experts, they got it wrong. They get it wrong. We've got it wrong. When we put God on trial, he just puts grace in front of us. He says, it's for you. It's for you. And it's free. Jesus wants more for you than you have accepted and received in your life. He wants you to be free. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. You're not going to find grace in religion. The only place that you find grace is in the closeness and the proximity and the intimacy of relationship. That is where you find grace. That's the beginning point of mercy and grace. No one has condemned you, neither do I. He doesn't leave it just there. Today the world says, accept me. Which really means when you look behind the curtain, condone and agree with how I live in my lifestyle. Grace and mercy, when they come in contact with the human heart, they compel us and move us into the direction of the heart of God for us. Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin. In other words, live a life of grace. Live a life of mercy. Receive the life that I want to breathe into you and the freedom that you could have. Because you find it in me. So today, there's not one of us 
in the room that's irrelevant. When Jesus locks eyes with us, he understands that your life has meaning and significance. That it's not a pawn in a game. But you carry the dignity that comes with the image of God himself. You. Whether you're in your 90s or you're a teenager, still trying to figure out life. You know what? I don't think you ever stop trying to figure out life. That's why we come to the one who is life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Would you mind just bowing your heads for just one moment? In the quiet of the moment, I just ask that that this be your moment with the Creator God standing before you, diverting the world's attention away from the past, from the tragedy, from the trauma, from the pain, from you standing exposed and He's extending grace. The only way you can access that grace is through Him. So I ask today that you pray along with me. If you want the life that He desires to give you, I just want to, I'm asking you to pray a simple prayer along with me. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. I give it all to you. Jesus, I give you my life because you gave your life on the cross for me. Jesus, I give you my life because I want to receive the life that you can give. Because in you is resurrection. You rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus, I give you my life. You died for my sin. That I may experience freedom and life today. Jesus, I give you my life. If you, if you prayed, if you, if you gave him your life in this moment for the first time, or you rededicated and you said, I've taken it back and I'm giving it back to you now. If that was you, I'm asking that you, you look up at me and you show me your hand, please. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Yes. Praise God. I'm going to pray for you both. For all three of you. Man, Lord God, you, this, you entered. Heaven and earth collided in those hearts. There's something new 
stirring within the soul. And Lord, I ask in your name that those that gave their life to you, they are now open to receive the life that you have. They may not have it all figured out, and that's fine, but you are the one who is the answer to the existential questions that we ask. And you are personal. I ask that you meet them. And Lord, that you breathe that life into them today and tomorrow and the rest of their life and that they are ever expanding like the universe with love and holiness and grace and mercy and freedom. May they find in you what they've longed for their whole lives. And Lord, I pray for us the rest of us, Lord God, that we as human beings, whether we believe in you or not, but we look at the example that you present and that we do our best to be less critical and condemning of ourself and others. But God, I ask that your grace and your love and your mercy do wash over us. May we meet with you outside of this time this week where your spirit draw us into your heart and who you are. And when we tell ourselves and the world tells us that we're irrelevant, that we bring nothing to the table, God, will you remind us that we are yours. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Can we give God praise for what he's already done? Yeah, that's right. Would you please stand? Please stand as we get ready and go have food and fill our stomachs and watch the game. Hey, we love you. And we're grateful for you. Will you love the Lord your God with all your heart? with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself? Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Go Bengals. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you, and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community, and to love people to Jesus.